everyone. I hope you've had a good week. Um, I have had not a bad week, I guess. It's a beautiful summer day here. I don't think we've had a day of rain since Mike died in the middle of May. And I'm just watching the orchard coming along and getting back into the garden and looking after the garden and gradually working out how to be me on my own, which is a really new thing. It's a long time since I was alone, but I'm not finding it too difficult. I get lots of really kind messages from people and, and lots of people tell me that I must be really shocked or still in shock. And whilst I can't discount that, I think that it's worth looking at the weeks that led up to Mike dying um, in terms of how I'm dealing with the grief and the adjustments that I'm making now. And somebody very wisely pointed out to me that Mike and I had done a lot of grieving together and so now was a period of adjustment. And I think in many ways that wise person is right because we were very lucky. We had quite a few weeks of time to get used to the idea of what was inevitably going to happen. And Mike and I have always been realists. We've always been people who've understood that you can't change your situation by jumping up and down and screaming very often, and that often one has to look at the situation and accept it and work out how to deal with that situation, how to make the best of it and how to look after one another through it. And there was a point in all this where it was clear to us, actually before it was clear to the doctors, that Mike wasn't making a return journey, that the weight he was losing and the pain he was experiencing was actually the cancer back and he went downhill quite quickly and it was very clear to me and him that we had to face a reality that neither of us could hardly bear to even consider but we were still together and so we took care to look after one another and to, and to face this one last thing together like we'd always faced everything together and as always we talked through what was happening we expressed to one another our fears and our worries and we just shared this last experience that we could share together which was poignant because we both knew it was the last time we'd share something difficult together and that from this point forward I'd be on my own or with the support of friends. Um, so that time was very beautiful and very special 
as we very honestly talked through what was happening. And one of the things that he said to me one afternoon was, don't hold me back, darling. And I understood that completely. I understood how he was on an, an, an inexorable road and nothing I could say would change it. And so I had to not hold him back. I had to let him proceed and let him explore these new ideas and this letting go. And he came up with this beautiful concept uh, of the idea that he, that he was gradually unbuttoning from life. And each day another button would be undone. And all sorts of fascinating things happened. Like one day I was talking about where I thought I might plant out the courgettes this year. And he looked at me and he said, I can't talk about the future anymore, my darling. There is no future for me. And immediately I realised that he had nothing to say about where I put the courgettes and that this was his way of gently reminding me that I was on my own with the planting of the courgettes and that I needed to go forward bravely without him. And so I began to learn to do that even before he'd gone. And that process of, of unbuttoning from life continued each and every day and some little thing would no longer be a thing. He'd no longer be able to walk to the end of the garden. He no longer could drive his quad around to get him places that had for quite a while been too far for him to walk and there were many things that that he just very gently and and without a fight just just let go of because he knew it was beyond fighting he knew that that there could be no changing the situation and so we just gently walked hand in hand down a dwindling path until he could only walk from the bed to the chair and then he needed a stick and all these things happened very steadily I was going to say gradually but it wasn't really gradual it was steady but because we were so very clear about what it was that was happening and what that meant for both of us I was able to begin the process of, of grieving and letting go and getting used to the idea of being a widow before he went. And that gave me the opportunity to talk some of those things through. And one of the things that I hold most precious now about those times and that I'm most grateful to him for is that he was willing, as ever, to talk and to explore his feelings about what was happening because it gave us the chance to touch on subjects and move through subjects that were really quite difficult but to just gently work through some of those things that were going to happen or that I was going to have to deal with and so I knew his wishes I knew his decisions I knew his ideas 
And I knew that I was able to go forward with that. And that don't hold me back. He meant it about being both alive and and beyond and dead. He didn't want me to try and tempt him to eat when he couldn't eat. He didn't want me to uh, talk any kind of fighting talk. Uh, and I understood implicitly that this also extended to after he'd actually died and that we'd, we'd decided together that, that, that there was either something or nothing after death and that if there was something that it was probably interesting, uh, that it was a new realm and that it was about moving on. It was all about moving on in a very individual way. And I think... I, I understood very well what he was asking, that he was asking me not to hang on to his spirit, not to hold on to him, not to not to try and clutch him here in this realm, if, if indeed there is a realm beyond. Because Mike was ever an explorer, and sure as hell, he wasn't going to be wanting to be hanging around here um, three quarters left, but with me clinging tightly to him, begging him not to leave. And I understood that, and I also understood that that we would blaze that trail together, and that that if there was some other realm and if it was relevant, then he'd he'd be there. He'd have made made the the walk. He'd have found the gap in the hedge, and 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 he'd be sitting there on the other side, you know, looking up at me, going, "Hi, darling. What should we do?" Like he always did, and. If there isn't anything, then I'd be hanging on to nothing. And so now at this point, so I'm what? I guess I'm nearly, nearly three weeks. Yeah, nearly three weeks since he died. And... Gosh, I don't know if that's right or not. I can't even count. It seems so short. Such a lot seems to have happened. But now I'm I'm here in my little house. And it's kind of already not quite our little house. Um, a friend of mine's been helping me do some work on on this little corner that I pretty much live in of the of the garden um, and um, helping me to uh, make it a bit prettier putting up some ceiling panels and um, and some insulation so that it's it's uh, warm and usable all the year round and so we've we've been doing building work and that's been interesting because I've been watching somebody else do the sorts of things that Mike would always have done and that's been quite challenging to cope with not in a really unpleasant way but it's really highlighted that he's not here you know because sometimes I can just sort of potter about my day 
just like any other day when he w was out and about and doing work and off and doing things. And it can just be like that. But of course, at the end of the day, he doesn't return. I think it is the evenings that I find the hardest. Uh, I may have altered the level on this, I'm really sorry. I'm still getting used to how to work this little tiny thing on my mobile phone. Um, and um, I'm not doing it with some extraordinary podcast thing. I'm just using a tiny app and it doesn't have much instructions. And I'm not quite sure what's going on. So apologies if it's gone loud in your ear or something. I... I turned the sound down because um, I didn't want notifications getting on it. And I probably ought to do all sorts of clever things, but I actually quite like giving you um, my very simple attempt at a podcast without any um, any polish. Because there's not much polish about me, really. And um, so, yeah, so it is only nearly three weeks. Um, and... Um, I seem to have been so busy and today and probably tomorrow I'm I'm going to try and really properly give myself some time off. I, it's the weekend of the Queen's Jubilee and there's a big bank holiday going on out there but nothing looks different here at all. Um, but I am just not rushing around doing as many jobs as I have been. I've just been taking it very steady and um, but the garden's growing without me I have been quite busy in there up until today and yesterday and I've just watered that's all I've done the last two days but before that I was weeding and pulling things and planting things out and, and things so um, so the garden is coming on and the broad beans are flowering quite beautifully prolifically looking out for black fly on them and I'll, uh, if I see any black fly I'll, I shall pinch out the tops to uh, deter them uh, and I've also bought some seedlings I don't usually buy seedlings I usually grow from seed but I, I need to lighten up on myself so I bought some seedlings so um, I've put in some rainbow chard which uh, gave me a fantastic crop. In fact, I've still got a little bit of, of chard left from uh, last year. I've still got one plant growing. The others I've I've pulled out. Uh, they were all bolting and going to seed, and I've I've pulled them out and laid them down, and then put some mulch over them and and uh, and some and some muck and and some molehill earth, and then I planted my peas straight into that because uh, I I tend to plant peas and beans into into very fresh uh, not rotted compost because they love the nitrogen and this is a good way of giving nitrogen and I kind of looked and thought oh, what what am I going to use for nitrogen for these peas seedlings that need to go out and I suddenly realized that the answer was staring me straight in the face so we'll see how that goes um, whether just uh, pulling out the the charred bed and laying laying the remnants of it flat down and uh, and, and making a new lasagna bed on top of it and planting the peas in. We'll see see how that yields, um, if, of course, the birds and the mice don't get there first. But I've covered them over with netting, so the, the sparrows can't, can't pinch off uh, their little growing tips, which is always a little bit of a fight with peas, I find, if there's sparrows around. And we do have the most wonderful colony of sparrows just outside 
the main house that, that live in a honeysuckle hedge and raise their babies um, in the eaves and rafters of the house and they they shout and squidge and chatter away and, and tell us all, all the news and they're lovely but I know they'd eat my pea shoots if I gave them half a chance. So the garden is coming on. Um, as are the invites to go and do things and I'm not sure whether I want to go and do things or not just yet but uh, but I'm getting invited to uh, to go go and boat on people's boats in my as in my former life and um, and the kids of course want me to come and visit and, and and go up there as well which which I shall do shortly um, and spend a bit of time away from here which will be very strange I'm finding the fact that he's buried um, just up in the fields, that, that he's only only a few hundred yards away from me, uh, quite wonderful. I had no idea how extraordinarily comforting uh, it would be that his mortal remains are close by. It's kind of almost like he knows what the weather's doing. And I, yeah, that he's just up there doing his thing. I don't know. We've moved from May into June in that inexorable thing that happens when people die and people are left behind and somehow time moves on even though one can hardly believe it. And it's been very lovely weather for a couple of weeks and I've been making the most of that time Every herbalist knows that uh, when the weather is good, it's time to gather. And one can never rely on that good weather in the UK. So getting out and gathering is, is a very big part of the structure of my year, the gathering times. And I think herbalists' kids can probably reel off the order of gathering through the year, beginning with the nettles and the goose grass and going on to the black currant leaves and the elderflowers and so on and so forth. And part of keeping structure together after, after losing Mike is to carry on with the ordinary jobs. And herb gathering is a very ordinary job to me. It's 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 as essential and as prosaic as sweeping the floor. Really, um, I do like sweeping floors. I must confess, um, and I like gathering herbs. So this week, uh, there've been quite a few things out. Um, I managed to miss the hawthorn flower because that was happening right as Mike was dying. There isn't an awful lot of hawthorn around here. I've, I've got a little bit, uh, but but not much. And I've got a handful of, of spruce tips as well, which is something that I like to use uh, for tea in the winter, full of vitamin C. But this week has been the week of the red clover and the uh, elderflower. The elderflowers are just coming out. And they can be tricksy because they're not here for terribly long and it's often rainy around this time. So I've I've been 
I've been gathering a few early heads of flowers, but they're not quite fully out yet. Uh, and I'm hoping for more. I've also been collecting mint and lemon balm. So I have some peppermint and I have uh, another more culinary mint, a lighter mint, and they blend well to make a really pleasant tea. Uh, and some lemon balm. I think maybe lemon balm will be coming into its own this year for me because lemon balm is about lifting the spirits and combating low spirits. And I haven't really experienced very low spirits yet, but I'm sure that I will and that as time goes on and the further I get away from the immediacy of losing Mike, the lonelier I'm likely to become and the less able to access his presence around me I may become. And so that's when I will turn to lemon balm amongst other things to help me, particularly if I begin to experience any kind of anxiety and I, I noticed for the first time a tiny anxiety last night because it was a little bit stormy, not terribly, but there was some thunder and, and heavy rain and I suddenly wondered what would happen if if rain started coming in or something went wrong and I realised again that those were things that I was going to have to certainly in the immediacy deal with on my own and there wasn't anybody to go it'll be fine darling and I had to tell myself it would be fine which I managed after a fashion. I never thought thunder would unsettle me because I love it. But it did, just for a few seconds, it did unsettle me. And I realised that it's probably quite easy to unsettle me at the moment. And that this period of of being quiet and staying at home and hurling myself into the little summer house project and tilling the garden and ensuring my winter food is there. And that's really all I'm thinking about at the moment is the wee house food and gently making contact with the world on my own. That's all there is, no nothing else really at all. And I'm able to be unsettled and I need to learn to work on that. And one of the, one of the ways I'm going to do that is actually to get back to paying attention to my Qigong, my Chinese exercises that I do in the morning. 
there are so many things to get back to, but I'm not pushing myself too hard about that right now. I've been drinking a lot of rose and hawthorn flower tea over this period, well, for quite a few months now. And um, hawthorn very gently supports the heart. And my old teacher always used to say that everybody over 60 should have a little hawthorn every day. And although I'm not over 60 yet, I'm only days away from it. So I think it counts. And my heart has definitely been carrying a heavy burden for about a year now, I suppose, since we first realised that Mike was ill. And Rose is for grief uh, and struggle. And it's it's just so beautiful. It, it, if you imagine smelling a rose and the feeling that it gives you, there's a reason why we give roses to people when we've upset them. And it's because they are so calming. And rose enables a rebuild. It, it almost, it removes scabs in a very gentle way so that tissue can, can clear and, and come back to the light. And it, it, I'm not describing this very well at all, uh, but but rose rose is the supporter that allows the heart to open to grief and begin the journey of healing, and thus rose and hawthorn flower combine quite beautifully to do this. Uh, hawthorn flower is not recommended if you are on blood pressure medications by the way um, but I use a tiny amount and I'm not on blood pressure medications um, and I mix the hawthorn flower and the rose and I snip them up together the uh, the browny tawny coloured petals of the hawthorn as it as it's dried mixed with a, with a few of its it, its leaves and I, how I make it um a tisane, a, a tea, that an everyday drinking tea rather than a medicine, uh, is that I, I place the ingredients into into a jug with a wide neck, and then I snip them with scissors until I I've snipped them into what's what's technically called corticating the the plant matter in into small pieces, and this serves two purposes. One, um, it, the smaller the pieces. The, the more you can store in a jar and secondly it is it, it enables a really good extraction of of the flavors and the the constituents from the plant matter into the hot water when you make a tea so every few weeks i i take a big handful of hawthorn flowers and a large pinch of rose petals and i snip them up together into a jar and it's so pretty, the very dark red of the petals against the, the creams and browns of, of, of the dried hawthorn flowers. And just taking the jug down, uh, the jar off the shelf uh, is pleasurable in itself before I even begin the tea. 
and the tea is scented the beautiful mix of, of, of that heady hawthorn smell and and the, the lighter notes of the rose and as one drinks it it's comforting and calming and uplifting and just so oh, I can't even describe it it's so difficult to, to describe when one uses the same words for herbs over again calming comforting uplifting whatever and that completely fails to to get across the utter subtleties of the difference between the uplifting action of hawthorn flower and the uplifting action of lemon balm which I was mentioning earlier and the only real way to 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 understand these things is is to actually try them is to actually pick some lemon balm leaves and pour some boiling water on them and let them stand a few minutes and then smell and taste that tea and everything about it you know allow it to allow your senses to to really appreciate the tea and if you use natural things and particularly things that you've you, you've gathered yourself you'll find that that they're intensely different from a fruit tea out of a tea bag and that you can smell and feel the plant's essence within your cup of tea and it becomes a mindful thing to do a very beautiful thing to do so i, I recommend rose and hawthorn tea uh, if your if your heart is breaking or you you need to steady up and allow yourself to mend it's a very beautiful tea to drink So it's evening time and some people have been round for dinner and we've had a lovely evening of chatting and just talking about Mike and talking about other things and now it's quite late, well it's 20 past 10, it's late for me and I'm just settled in my little place looking at my lovely new ceiling in the light and the picture of Mike that I've put up in the far corner, very iconic, beautiful photograph taken of him that somebody's had printed and framed for me and it's sitting above a drawing that he made a long time ago um, of some caravans on a site where he once lived and I'm settling into this new um not lonesome but single time just lying here in my little space and feeling out what it feels like and what it means to be on my own all of the time well not all of the time because there are friends and neighbors and things but but that heart some aloneness of no longer having a partner and that feeling of 
missing sharing all the little things and everybody got up and went home after a nice meal and usually we'd have sat back and said well that was lovely wasn't it and wasn't it nice to hear so and so say such and such and that was an interesting idea and we'd have talked and felt satisfied and pleased at our friendships and now I'm here alone and I'm evaluating friendships and getting used to um, hosting things alone and having to remember small things like serving drinks which would have always been Mike's thing to do and I missed his tale telling tonight it was an evening of telling old tales and experiences and places we've been and things we've done and mutual things and finding out more about one another as one does over a pleasant evening meal and it's interesting to observe myself how I am and and how that downtime is missing that time when it would have been the moment of just us and just us was a very precious thing we loved to be on our own together and for many years when we lived on the narrowboat we were often just us and I described us the other night to a friend as being like a sealed unit we were completely just what we needed to be for one another and now I'm taking that forward and learning how to be just us but without him with me and in some ways that's happening quite fast quite organically I've um, because we've been putting these new ceiling panels in and I'll put a picture up of that on my blog um, because of that I've, I sort of had to dismantle things a lot and, and pile things up and get things out of the way so that the ceiling could be done and now I'm putting them back oh excuse me I'm yawning it's nearly time for bed but I really wanted to make this little piece of the podcast while I was in the moment and um, and what I'm noticing is, is as I'm putting things back that um, they're not going back in quite the same places and I'm thinking of things that I want and that I want to get out and I'm realising that quite naturally I'm beginning to make this place mine whatever that means of, of just creating a, a space that is largely expressing myself and that's a very new thing for me you know our houses back in the day when I had the kids and I was bringing them up my house was always higgledy-piggledy and um, I was greatly complimented once when somebody compared my house to Mrs Worsley's house in, in Harry Potter and I thought that was rather 
a nice analogy. But things are a little more ordered now and I'm 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 kind of liking the order and I'm I'm liking the fact that I can just have things the way that that I want them and it's going to be interesting to to discover how tidy or not tidy I am alone and I'm also very aware that um, when I look around the house and I look around what other people will see when they come into the house that it's all me that almost everything is is still um just an expression of me so the mess is my mess and the the placement of the things is the, my placement of the things and and this is new and I suppose oh I don't know it's, it's just exploring this whole very new phenomenon to me of of being a single person <laughs> There's one bit that I haven't been able to, to really clear up yet and, and lying on an A5 piece of paper in the corner of my table is a pile of stuff and it's it's the last lot of stuff that he emptied out of his pockets and there was always a little heap of stuff like that lying around. It was one of the things that sometimes drove me mad but I always was quite affectionate about it too and this last little lot I'll put a picture up on the blog. It's just a collection of random objects. You know, there's a, a little screwdriver and a couple of hooks and a lighter and all the bits and bobs that were just the sort of things that accumulated in his pockets over a day and that he'd take out and drop onto the table. And somehow this last pile landed on a piece of paper and made a very complete little little picture of how Mike was and one of the things that I, I both loved about him and drove me crazy and that's that's a precious thing you know those things that you love but drive you crazy you know they're they're such a an important part of the of the brickwork of a relationship and they they indicate how you accommodate someone else and how you um observe them and 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 what meaning those objects have to that person and that that has a, a, a meaning forever and uh, and it's precious and uh, yeah we we talked a lot tonight about how acceptance is a part of moving on and and I was reflecting once again on how much he'd given us during the period of his dying, how how he'd talked and how he'd expressed what was going on and what that had meant to, to other people as well as me. And uh, I love how his way of being was something that, that, that people cared about and respected and uh, that's been very beautiful again sometimes I, I, I wonder when it's going to stop being beautiful and when I'm going to struggle 
and I hope I don't struggle. I hope that this goes on being straightforward to, to move through and to explore. And I must admit that making this blog, or this podcast, it's not a blog, is it? Um, is also part of that process, part of looking at what's happening. It's rained tonight, not enough. I know a lot of people have had very heavy rain, but we've had some. And I'm really glad of it because the garden's very thirsty indeed. And uh, I love the smell when you go outside. That it's, it has a word, petrichor. Um, but just that earthy, wet smell is delicious. 